Welcome to Electric Evolution with Liz Allen. This podcast is about the journey to a more sustainable future in order for us to be able to do our bit to achieve net zero. I'll be discussing a variety of topics with experts in their field in order to educate and increase our knowledge of clean energy, electric vehicles and the electric vehicle infrastructure. So whether you're an individual wanting to make a difference at home, a small business or a corporate, this podcast is just for you. Right, okay, so on today's podcast, I have Ian D from Geospatial Insights. Now, Ian is a climate applications lead. And when I met you, Ian, and I saw your title, I got quite excited, I think, didn't I? <laughs> a little bit, yes. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, um, just hearing about what you, and, and like I said, it, by the way, thank you for joining me, I should say, <laughs> to start off with. <laughs> um, we met we met at the EV show back in November, didn't we? That's right, yeah. So it seems ever it is ages ago, isn't it? And we've tried we have tried this recording before, but we're, we're very trying, issues. yeah. <laughs> there were some issues, weren't there? So and and your wife's all right now, anyway, isn't she? She's fine, yeah. Fabulous. Just a, a sore ankle, nothing, you know, dented pride, nothing more. Oh bless her! Oh God! Well, yeah, I fell down the steps a couple of years ago, and I had to have a shoulder operation after that. But that's another story. I'm tangenting now. Anyway, <laughs> right back on to you. Okay, so Geospatial Insight formed in um, 2012. Were you saying to me? That's right. Yeah, 2012. Tell everybody a little bit about what you do, what Geospatial Special Insight does. Um, and a bit about, tell us about your background first. How did you do this? Because you were just saying to me, weren't you, before we start recording, you set up another company and it all sort of kind of came into in together because you were kind of complementing Geospatial Insight, weren't you? Tell everybody a bit about that. That's right, yeah. Well, my, my background is in the geospatial sector. Mm -hmm. um, I've sort of been in the industry since 99-ish. So, you know, 23, 24 years now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I uh, set up a company called Energeo uh, mm. in, in 2015 with the, the kind of core focus of using all this geospatial technology and data that we've got, so satellite imagery, aerial photography, but trying to, to really push the agenda on using that for sustainability-related applications. Mm. Um, I know the guys from Geospatial Insight. We all used to work together at Airbus Defence and Space in the UK many, many mm -hmm. moons ago. Uh, so they were aware of some of the things we were doing at Energeo and Geospatial Insight was starting to develop some of their own climate applications. And it just kind of made sense to bring these two businesses together and, yeah. and, and have, you know, that uh, strength in numbers, I guess, is is, is what, what what they say. Yeah, but yeah. Um, Geospatial Insight, originally we're using a lot of the same technologies uh, and data that Energeo were, but for applications in the equities, commodities, finance sectors. But over the time, obviously, the climate agenda becomes so um, you know, pushed to the forefront that mm. they were starting to do some of their own climate-related work as well. At Energeo, we were largely focusing on renewable energy, so solar, wind, e-mobility, property retrofit. And at Geospatial Insight, it was uh, largely around things like emissions monitoring, uh, air quality, and, and mm. carbon sequestration. Mm. So although in very different spheres, climate-wise, very complementary. Mm. And as I say, late 2021, we, we sat down and said, look, 
this this should all just be under one umbrella. Yeah. Let's bring it all together and, and, and have the combined expertise of both teams and, and the knowledge of both teams and, and, and take it forward under under the Geospatial Insight banner. And, and, and that's what we did. Brilliant. Brilliant. So tell me a bit, if you will, about the sectors that you work with and and how the technology, the types of technology that you've got. I mean, you've kind of given us a bit of an inkling there, mm. but but how, how does it help those sectors? What What is it that you're doing? What is it that you're providing to them? Yeah, I mean, we work across many, many sectors, as you've probably mm. seen on, on, on the website. Um, did. yeah. But with uh, a lot of the renewable energy, the e-mobility uh, elements, which kind of more my responsibility, I guess, mm. our, our clients are, are largely split between local authorities and private sector. And okay. with the private sector, it's usually uh, either the developers of those technologies themselves. So we work with solar developers, we work with charge point operators, all with consultants who are working across the breadth of the, uh, the, the 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 kind of the sector itself. So, as you know, a consultant will work with players both in their own private sector and the public sector to to, to do their element of the work, and, and mm. we sometimes work directly with those as well. Mm. So it's yeah, a, a bit of everything really. And what we're doing, I guess, is probably two things i think first and foremost we digitalize the surveying process mm. uh, and obviously if you think of uh, talking about electric vehicles you know we met at the london ev show mm. uh, one of the things we, we're sort of looking at at the moment as a as a nation is is how we put more ev charge points in place yes and, yeah. and understanding the best locations for those charge points is okay is, is a complex procedure um what we're doing is trying to use data to answer a lot of those questions for for those organizations that are deploying them why would you put a charge point here is it in the right place you know are there any other charges nearby is there uh, you know proliferation of vehicle users in this area or is ev uptake high you know, is it an affluent area that's likely to have early adopters for ev at the moment all of those kind of things so yeah we're doing that kind of preliminary surveying element to them you know when you go and put a charge point in or you're going to put solar in you're going to go to site anyway yes but if you go to site pre-armed with a lot of information and, and knowing the questions you need to ask when you get there that makes that site visit much more efficient so i would say that's kind of the first thing that we're doing is digitalizing a lot of that process uh the, the second thing is we're providing an evidence base on, on which to make decisions uh you know and we the beauty of geospatial information is that you can work at scale. So we don't just look at a site, we look at a city or a county. Okay. And when you can put a county's worth of information in front of somebody about EV charging, about solar, about wind, they can start to look at it and sort of rank and prioritise mm. their actions based on on sort of data-driven intelligence. You know, the, the solar is a great example of that because you know, we're – doing work on, on both rooftop and ground mount solar. And for all of that, we sort of say, look, you could put this much solar on this site, it would generate X amount of electricity and save you Y of CO2 over a, a, a lifetime. So you can start to look at what the return on your investment is, both financially and environmentally. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's really good. Because so you, 
so that what you're just saying there about solar is that the locate solar that you've just started kind of you've just started, started promoting haven't you it is yeah that sounds so, really really interesting yeah so locate solar is uh it's a database we've created which comes with its sort of own uh dashboard and platform but it's got the solar suitability of every roof in england pre-mapped so 23 million plus buildings uh, scotland and wales are coming so yeah <laughs> it's it's just that we've, we've we've sort of finished england first and we'll move on to scotland and wales in time so uh, over the next few months that database will have around 29 million buildings in it with oh all the solar God. intelligence yeah so the buildings is it kind of like my house or is it so is it residential areas or is it commercial areas that that you've kind of got that information on everything is it so you've probably got my house on we your yes cool. um, i sort of call it an indiscriminate assessment <laughs> if there's a building there we look at it and we'll measure its roof pitch we'll measure it measure its roof aspect look at the irradiance figure out how many modules you can get on the roof oh my god so for every every one of those 23 million buildings, there's about 25 different attributes that, that tell us why that building is or isn't suitable for solar. Because, so funnily enough, we've just had a quote, we've had, well, we've had about three quotes for solar and batteries. Um, and I, I was kind of wondering, I, I suppose I just assumed that the company that was doing it, they would be using Google Earth. Because yes. and I'm, I'm assuming yours, yours is not, it's not, you know, no. you've got lots and lots of other, your, your technology is, so right, okay, tell me how your technology is different to Google Earth then, what do you get out yeah. of what, what uh, can you see? I think there's, the, the first thing is that obviously Google Earth, um, although you can look at things in 3D on Google Earth, generally it's a kind of top-down yeah you yeah. Uh, and, and also you're manually interpreting what you can see from google right. earth right Whereas we, we have an automated method of uh looking at a property in three dimensions yeah so we can extract the actual roof pitch the actual roof aspect oh the usable space of the roof so we can sort of you know exclude dormer windows chimneys parapet walls air conditioning vents and then from there, we'll kind of push that information through an irradiance calculator so we can see how much uh, exposure to the sun's energy that roof gets over over time. And then we can start to work out, well, if the roof is this shape and can get this many modules on it and is exposed to this much of the sun's energy, then it would generate this much electricity and save this much CO2 based on removing fossil fuel generation from the grid. Yeah. Um, the other thing we do as well, uh, is we do all of those statistics over one year. So, you know, if you put solar on your roof now, in the next year, this is approximately what you'd earn, generate, save. Mm. Uh, but we also do it over a 20-year period. So you can look at lifetime payback of, of putting solar on a roof. Oh, and, my God. Okay. And, yeah. and that's become really the, the key statistic is that lifetime element mm. because we we don't work with consumers. So our data does not go out into the public realm for people no. to go and look at their own properties. No. It goes to a housing association who want to, you know, make their tenants' lives more comfortable, more affordable, yeah. but also yeah. to decarbonize their stock. It would go to a local authority who are putting their climate strategy together and maybe want to look at their own estates buildings. Mm. 
or it would go out to a Sony developer who are looking at putting big installs on warehouses and industrial roofs under you know power purchase agreements perhaps mm. and they're interested in that payback over over the 15 20 years rather than just what they're going to get over the next 12 months that's interesting because like i say so the company that that we've got the three companies that we've had the information come back from the fact the last one were the information that they provided to be honest you know what i did i actually went to my husband because he's the data geek out of the two of us i went right you can have a look at that one <laughs> you'd probably have liked that you know yeah. but but actually the information that they were providing was really, really in in depth, do you know what mm. I mean? So I just thought, yeah. oh no, this is this is give this is providing us with something that we've not had before. Yeah. You know, so and look and looking at looking at the payback up we'd we'd had payback over time, you know, because at the moment the energy tariff that we're currently on mm. is it's been fixed for probably two or three years before we you know, bef- we we, yeah. we kind of ended up sort of locking into that which was really quite fortuitous in a way because of what's been going on in the last kind of six, nine, 12 months. But that runs out in June. Yes. Yeah, we've got similar. Ours, ours is kind of uh, April or May for us. So, yeah, we're sort of along the same lines, really. But uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, that kind of, like you say, that level of detail you're getting. Mm. You know, it needs somebody who kind of understands solar to look at it and, and pull those pieces of information together. What we're doing is we're doing that at scale. Yes. Yeah. yeah that, that needs somebody to sit at a desktop and interpret that. And doing that for your property probably took them 30 minutes, an hour, whatever that might have taken. You know, by having that data off the shelf for 23 million buildings in the UK, again, they're still going to come out and look at your house and do a full roof survey before they mm. put solar on. Mm. But that initial piece of, you know, I've been asked about putting solar on this roof. I can have a look at some data now that gives me a really good insight as to whether that roof is suitable, what it might generate. So when I go to site or when I go and speak to the homeowner or the occupier, I've already got a lot of information on pre-armed with it. And it just makes the conversation a lot easier. Even if, you know, our data said, actually, that roof's not suitable for solar. That's a good good way of sort of excluding lots and lots of buildings. And Mm. a lot of our local authority clients do exactly that. They'll they'll look at the data and go, okay, we've got a million buildings in Kent, for example, but 300,000 of them aren't suitable for solar. Let's go and work on, you know, what are the the top 10% of the rest are, where we're going to really get our, our bang for our buck. Yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, you're kind of saying that about excluding. Bizarrely enough, out actually, I was thinking. I think we've had four companies now because one of the companies, the second one, and I was really, really disappointed. Um, came out and said we weren't suitable, but the other three have said we were. We were. Yeah. So uh, isn't it funny? Why? Why would that be? Why would they interpret it that way and say we weren't? If if you know, the others have said we are. Yeah, I I think every property is generally suitable to some degree, mm. but it's the, you know, to what degree that is. You know, most properties will have some sort of solar suitable roof facet. You know, it's just how big that facet is, how many modules would you get on it? Yes. You know, does it need 
a bespoke design that's going to take extra time? Is it you know, an engineering challenge to get the solar on the roof? Yeah. You know, there might be lots of elements that come into play there, and, and perhaps that specific company was you know, looking for a, a less challenging installation or a quicker win, maybe. I think you're probably right. So they were saying that they, that their, do you call it a solar array when you're yeah. actually putting them? So they said that their solar arrays were in sixes and we didn't have enough room for six, but we've definitely got more room for, anyway, yes. <laughs> we'll move back onto you again. So, okay. So all of this, if we look at low carbon technology as a, as kind of like a, you know, a, a mainstay that we, we all need to make sure that we're trying to push towards yeah. some form of decarbonization. How do you feel at the moment that the market is, is going for you? Uh, are they, because a lot, of, I don't think it's every single council, for example, have declared a climate emergency, but a lot of them have, haven't yeah, they? They so, have, yeah. So our, our councils, the ones that are kind of coming to you and now and saying, as part of our climate emergency, our strategy is this. We need we need you to look at all of our buildings. Yeah, it's the local authorities is a strange one because I think about 85, 90 percent now have declared a climate emergency. Mm. But not all of those ones that have declared a climate emergency have put strategies in place yet. Oh. Those that have put strategies in place, some of them are referring to just their own estates, so their own buildings and land. Others are referring to their administrative areas as a whole. So it's a really sort of complex area because mm. there's no two authorities are doing the same thing, mm. which, which is, is kind of understandable when you think that, you know, you can have two different local authorities that are neighbour, but they have very different social, economic landscapes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... It, it differs. Some local authorities would come to us and say, look, we've got a very definite idea about our strategy and we're interested in getting the data to underpin that and, and start to put it into place. Other local authorities will come to us and say, look, we've just declared a climate emergency. We don't really know where to start and we're mm -hmm. interested in what the data mm -hmm. would tell us. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's two different approaches there. And then what we're getting as well is in the private sector, uh, we're getting businesses coming to us and saying, we need to be smarter about how we develop our opportunity pipeline mm. um, and also how we work with a local authority because you know, the local authorities are often the end clients you know, in, in a lot of these things. You know, if we work with a charge point operator, for instance, their end client is often the local authority anyway, mm. but it's about how do they get more data around why their solution is the right one for that local authority. Uh, you know, and to show they've done the due diligence, they understand that local authority's area, what the challenges are, and our data yeah. is helping them helping them do that. So it's depending on the the client and the stage they're at in their own kind of journey, we'll we'll provide them with similar types of information or intelligence, but we'll provide a, a kind of little consultative wrapper around it that lets them understand it specifically for their own needs. I was going to say the due diligence side has got to be so important, hasn't it? Because, and I and I have heard that not it's not happening all over yeah. all over the UK with regards to charge point operators. There are some that aren't quite as advanced as others when it comes to due diligence. Yeah, yeah, I think it's. I must caveat this that you know everyone out there yeah. is trying to do a good job. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, I, <laughs> and, and I and I agree, and and please. 
whoever's listening and watching this, I'm not, I'm not kind of dissing anybody at all. I'm just no. saying that, that due diligence is very, very important. And actually from a, from a continuous improvement side of things, which is what I'm involved in, you don't want to end up doing something twice. No. For a start off, you're doubling your carbon footprint. And actually, if you're having to do something twice, you're paying people to do it twice. Exactly. Yeah. So, so there's a massive double whammy on this, the sustainability side, the carbon footprints, you know, it's a triple whammy, isn't it really? And actually, you know, you, we call it right first time. It was like, you exactly. know, that's right first time because that's what you want, yeah. isn't it? Do it once, do it right. And yeah, you're absolutely right. What we're seeing in the, the, the kind of EV charging world at the moment is we're getting much better. Everybody's getting much better at doing mm. this, but historically we're seeing a lot of stranded assets right. because you know they've been put somewhere where you know we think this is a good location for a charge point but it's not particularly evidence driven and that charge mm. point gets put into place and it doesn't mm. really get used or you know if it's an on-street charger it's been put in a place that might cause an obstruction if someone's trying to get a wheelchair past it those yeah. kind of things yeah. so you know trying to do that due diligence and say actually and yeah, interestingly, one of the charge point operators we're working with, they they have this kind of thought process where they say, could we put a charge point there? And should we put a charge point there? And and the could is kind of almost, yeah, anywhere. And the should is then all of these other elements that, that come along with it. And mm. you know, we, we've created a data-driven model that, that takes in about 20 different criteria for them to say whether a charge point should be put in this particular location. Mm. So it's, it's, it's taking those, you know, and that criteria will be different for every single installer or every operator. Mm. And obviously it's different for on street to off street, but it's the similar principles around it. It's, yeah. it, you know, are we putting this charge point or this charging hub in the right place where it's not just going to be used now, but it's going to be used in five years, 10 years, uh, and, and actually the, the longevity of that infrastructure is, is set. Uh, I think that's where we failed before. We're saying, you know, the, 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 the core one that I always come across is a resident request, which, which is a great indicator of where yes. a charge was needed. Yes. But, I didn't yeah. realize that this happened, but yeah, I've been talking to a council last week who told me this. Yeah. But, but one person wanting a charge point outside their house doesn't necessarily indicate that the rest of the street is ready to take that leap yeah. to, to yeah. EVs. Um, and what, what we find is you'll get one resident request, but suddenly 20 charge points appear on that street because they go, oh, actually, yeah. But, you know, a year later, there's still only one person on that street with an EV, for instance. So it's 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 a challenging one, but we are mm. getting there. We are getting better. Mm. And I think the data can really help inform those decisions. Like I say, you're still going to go to site. You're still going to look at it in more detail, but you go there knowing what you're looking for or you use the data to eliminate a site yeah, and, and you yeah. save yourself that work anyway. What do you reckon happens if, say, for example, a local authority, like you said, you know, they've got these, they've got that single resident request. And it's sometimes it's, it must be hard to argue with a resident if they want something. You don't want to have lots of complaints going, oh, I asked for a charge point in on my street and they haven't done it. You know, it, it must be it must be very, very difficult because that resident, they don't know what they don't know. And they just know what they want, don't yeah. they? Doesn't necessarily mean that 
that it's the same as all the other residents because that might be a very, very lucky person who's got, you know, they've got an EV um, because it's through their job or something like that. Yeah. But everybody else on that street probably maybe can't afford to have it or maybe they're not in, in that kind of privileged kind of position yet. Yeah, it's it's difficult. And what I think is that a local authority needs to have a strategy in place to to kind of be able yeah. to answer that question, not yeah. just in the immediate term, but in the short term as well. You know, we, we've been doing some work um, with Oxfordshire County Council, and they're very, okay. very good at, at, at these kind of longer term strategies. So they were looking at predominantly off street charging hubs, but in areas where people don't have access to driveways. Yeah. And, and then you, you've got a central hub that residents can use. So in those instances, a resident might ring up and say, look, yeah, I've got an EV now. I need a charge point. Oxfordshire County Council might go, right, actually, you live within five minutes walk of a bank of hubs or a bank of charges we put in place specifically for this purpose mm -hmm. and push them towards that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, again, the data can tell us that that address is within five minutes of one of these these hubs. If it's outside of that, okay, yeah, now we do need to have a conversation about potentially an on-street yeah solution for you so yeah. but oxfordshire had all the information like i say one of those local authorities that comes to us go right we've got a really good idea about what we want to do how do we use the data to implement it yeah. so th there's there's that part of it there but and i saw a really interesting piece on linkedin this morning and i, I was going to comment but i didn't quite have time you don't <laughs> just want a rushy comment on linkedin do you no you don't you've got to you've got to take your time exactly. <laughs> and, and it, it was saying that statistically um we don't need residential charging to the level that we think we do mm. because on average drivers only drive you know 100 miles a week yes i might have seen that this morning so you can go and charge your vehicle get your 250 mile in your battery and then you can top up at a destination charge or a journey charge mm. or whatever it might mm. be and statistically that is correct i i cannot argue with that mm. but and to stress, this is my opinion. Of course. The way that we consume has changed. We don't go out to the cinema to watch a film. We press a button. Mm, we do. And it appears on our TV. Yeah. We don't go out and go to the record shop like we used to and wade through DVD, CDs, vinyls. And some people do, vinyl junkies. Remember those days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we press play on Spotify. We don't even yeah. go out to find someone to have a relationship with anymore we we go on you know swipe right or left don't we so, <laughs> yeah yeah whichever so, ones they are <laughs> so why, why should we go out and charge our car you know mm. it's new technology and new technology is bringing everything into our houses yet all of a sudden we're being told with electric vehicles we have to treat them exactly the same as we did with ice vehicles and take them to an ev equivalent of a petrol station yeah so there's the, and I think most of the studies are showing now that drivers want to charge at home. Mm. You know, generally mm. sort of 70, 80% of drivers say I want to charge at home. And I think that's because the consumer mindset is changing. So I, th I think, you know, statistically it is right. You do not need an EV charge point on your driveway. You never had a petrol pump on your driveway. No, you didn't. No, it's very true. <laughs> But that consumer mindset has changed and, and now we want yeah. to sort of press a button and have yeah. it happen within our own house. Very true. Very true. Or do you think how, how far off are we from um, 
like kind of wireless charging do you reckon because I can imagine you know that's got to be that's because I heard about buses um you know kind of going on a bus route and there'll be a bus stop where they'll kind of stop to pick up passengers and they're actually topping up their their charges they're going through I mean I can't imagine that on on all roads but there's got to be you know if you think about it the technology is evolving so quick I mean look at look at what you what the the technology that you guys are using but you know kind of technology is evolving so quickly isn't it it is yeah I mean buses are a great sort of example of where inductive charging will will work Mm. because Mm. they're naturally very stop start journeys yeah yeah yeah, Um, yeah most people who commute in a car might say their journey is a stop start <laughs> obviously you can't just take up miles and miles of of, of carriageway and, and put no, wireless, exactly. wireless charging in place or anything like that so i think it will come into play but it will just need to be very very sort of well thought out on how and where it comes into play mm. you know, it could be that it becomes an alternative for a charge point on a driveway that actually you drive over a charging plate and, yes. and you charge in that in, in that sense or if you think of odd street charging where you have a charge point in a lamp column or in a bollard actually mm. if the parking bays along that side, side of the street had that technology in them mm. you know you could pull up on them and and, and, and charge wirelessly or inductively that way, that way. Yeah. so i think it will it will come um but there are technologies or, or there are means of transport that are naturally better suited to it than than kind of passenger vehicles at the moment yeah yeah, I saw something on Twitter yesterday. I was having a little bit of a nosy on Twitter, and I and I saw um, one of my uh, my previous um, interviewees, Tom Callow from My Energy. He'd put a post on, and it was it, he was showing some on street parking charging there, and there were four photos, and he was talking about kind of the the which one would you expect to be the best solution? And one of them was kind of where you had the the wire um, underneath, um, you know, kind of a protected, oh, it, it had a cable, yeah. it had a, yeah, it had a cable. So there were gully, there was one with a, somebody else was showing it with a gully and then there was another one with kind of like a cable cover over it. Um, bizarrely enough, there was one photo and, I, and you could see what had happened, that the car was on the street the charge point was probably two cars away from it or the, yeah. you know, the, the, but obviously that car that was next to it had gone. So it looked, I mean, it really looked a, a real mess because basically they, whoever it was had just <laughs> rocked up, rocked up, chucked the cable and the cable was all over the curb. So it it wasn't, it was a mess and it was a bit dangerous for other, other pedestrians, but you know, so, so a lot of what we're saying now about kind of wireless or, plates or some way of of kind of charging in future is is probably going to be a, a you know eventually eventually in in years to come that's going to be the best way to stop any kind of accidents or incidents or anything like that isn't it really yeah, yeah. and yeah the, the thing is there's no silver bullet with ev charging yeah no. it needs to be a mix of technologies mm. whether that is cable gullies whether it is on-street bollards, off-street hubs, destination, journey charging. Mm. We need a kind of mix of all of that. We do. And then it will be these new technologies coming into play, like you say, the wireless and the inductive charging coming in. All of that will, will have a place because mm. we need it. I think the government wants sort of 300,000 new public chargers by 2030 and nearly 4 million in total, so residential yeah. as, as well. So it's got to be a mix, otherwise we won't get there. 
You know, no, I know. Can't go and put three hundred thousand of a particular type of charge, but and it just won't work. And it's and it's also, and I was talking to, I've talked to a few people about this, and Sarah Sloman being one of them, and Councillor Catherine Dunn last week about this. It's also about the fact that to reduce our to decarbonize, we also need to be kind of doing more active travel. Exactly. Yeah. You no. Know? So a- a- active travel, walking taking public yeah. transport more and know that we've had an issue with with the trains lately so in some ways that's kind of pushed people back to going back in cars and then it's increasing the levels of yeah. air pollution and things like that which is obviously um, it's not the not the best op- option is it but no. you know we we do need to have look at all these options is is that part of so is that something that you guys provide as well sort of like so you're saying right okay your solar your solar can be this your ev charging can be that you know and actually but you have got so you might not be fulfilling your decarbonization in this area but actually if you look at active travel and do this is that something that you come up with or is that slightly outside it no it's not been a core area for us but we are having those conversations now because a lot of the data we're producing so think about the data we produce for you know looking at where on-street charging could could be implemented we're looking at things like how wide are the pavements mm. are there obstructions uh, on on the street you know like trees are the roads wide yeah. so you know is yeah. parking an issue and actually all of those things come into play if you want to cycle and, and walk somewhere you know if you know how wide a road is a footway is you can say actually there's enough room there for us to eke out a bus lane or a or a cycle lane you mm-hmm. know is this a street with lots and lots of trees on that's pleasant to walk down so yeah. all of those things a lot of the data we're producing creating using can be flipped to, to to be used in those applications as well but i think you're absolutely right we can't swap an ice vehicle one for one with an ev that mm-hmm. just doesn't doesn't make sense no, because you know there's just going to be lots and lots of people sat in an EV on the same roads in the same traffic as they were before. It's just going to be a much quieter, cleaner traffic jam, which is no bad thing, but it still doesn't necessarily solve the problem. You know, it needs to be that element of how do we make a really truly integrated transport system where, you know, potentially you don't even need a car in some instances. Uh, and, And that's another thing we're looking at with the data that we're producing is actually do you really, really want to go and put EV charge points along that street? Or actually, could you move a bus stop and, and put a bus stop yeah. on that street or close to that street to help yeah. people get around the town and, and, and move around that way? So yeah, yeah. it is, it's, it's not just take a vehicle off the road and replace it with an EV. It's yeah. let's be sensible about this and, and, yeah. and, and make sure we're doing it for the right reasons, not just to get EV charging infrastructure in, no, exactly. Exactly. in place. Yeah. And it's about, um, going like you're saying about about, i think moving bus stops and things like that is a a brilliant idea i'm i remember when i so i've lived in reading since 2004 and i in fact my husband was here he was living here when we first started going out so in about 2000 
and and I remember waiting for buses and they weren't very reliable. <laughs> so so it, you know and and it's changed it's changed over the years. It's changed so much here, you know. So so it is about making sure that that they're putting the money's being put in to make sure that they've got reliable reliable services that people can, you know, people know right. Okay, I know that there's going to be a bus every fifteen minutes, so I don't really need to take my car. Exactly, and it's not just that. There's other solutions, isn't there? You know, car clubs. Yeah, I, I think that will have a role to play as well. So it's 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 trying to get all of these different elements pieced together in in the right way to to make mm. it work. You know, mm. People want to be able to get around easily. Yes, and yeah. I think sometimes the mode of travel is isn't as important as the journey itself. As long as you can get to where you want to go in the right time at the right cost. Then you know I take the train a lot. Trains mm. can be expensive, mm. but if you you know pick your tickets at the right time, you can still get a decent a decent value ticket and, and, and travel on the train. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a horses for courses thing, isn't it? It's it, yeah. it needs to be the right thing in the right place. EV charging isn't the right thing in the right place for everyone everywhere at the moment. Mm. Better public transport links could do mm. that. Better walking routes can do that. Exactly. So it's, it's it's just getting that right mix in place. And just and just remind me. So for your for the technology that you've got for all of your for everything, what so you've got you get drone footage, don't you? You've got satellite footage. What what other kind of how else are you kind of grabbing all the the kind of the footage in the first place to convert it to data? Yeah, so we use data, I think I would sort of say from two different areas. There's what I would say the geospatial data. So, you know, satellite imagery, aerial photography, drone imagery, digital mapping, you know, all of those things where you know, there's a naturally location-based element to it. Yeah. And then we bring in what I would call non-geospatial data. So it's data that's been created but has a locational element to it. So if you think of something like the National Charge Point Register, yeah. it's a database, but it tells you yeah, of yeah, the charges yeah, are out there, but it naturally has that location. So we're bringing in yeah. things like that, energy performance certificates, you know, 4G, 5G coverage, because obviously, oh. you know, how, how somebody interacts and pays for their EV charging is, 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 is critical as well. Uh, you know, so lots of data sets from different areas, as well as yeah. data sets we create ourselves um and try to bring them together and, and put them in a dashboard or in an environment where the end user can kind of interact with them and make sense of them because one of the things i'm always very sort of keen on is is sort of saying that we're not ev experts we're not energy experts we're not solar experts we're geospatial people yeah so we we know where our expertise ends it's not our job to say exclusively this is where you should put a solar array or a charge point or a heat pump. It's our job to give the person who knows about those things the tools to make the best decision. Yes. So that's yes. that's kind of our, our our sort of thought process on that is that we'll work with the client to give them the toolkit so that they can make that decision. We don't want to make that decision for them. But, mm. yeah, a lot of data we, we bring in from the geospatial side, a lot from the non-geospatial side. And then we try to to push them together and, and wring them out as best mm -hmm. we can to get every single piece of information we can from it. And I think, as we as we said earlier, it's about turning data into intelligence. Yeah. So yeah. we can go from a satellite image, which kind of 
gives us an overview of a town, a city, you know, a landscape, an area. But by bringing in all those other data sets, we can say, actually, in that satellite image, that is a building with a flat roof that could have 50 kilowatts of solar on it, and it will generate this much. So it's bringing all those data sets together is what enables us to do that piece. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's taking people from a don't know what you don't know because I'm assuming there's a lot of, for example, local authorities and private private companies that are that are kind of have got very you know kind of low a, a lack of knowledge when they start off working with you, but you're actually taking them. It's kind of an education piece, isn't it, as well? But it's been able to, in you know, um, inter you interpret the data and you're educating them about what what they've got which is that's just amazing you're you're kind of um what i'd class as it's a massive value added service yeah a, a lot a lot of what we're doing often is just confirming where their assets are and what they can do yeah you know, I think, like we said we've done some work with kent county council recently there's there's almost a million buildings in kent and <laughs> it's it's impossible or historically it has been impossible to have an accurate asset database of all those buildings because some are owned by the council, some are private rented, some are retail, industrial, owner-occupied, whatever that might be. There is no central repository that brings all of that together, whereas actually by using satellite imagery, digital mapping data, we can create that. Mm. And the other thing I always say is it's empirical observation. It is objective. We can only say what we can see. Yes. Yeah we're, yeah, we're not guessing. It, 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 we, and we don't you're not guess. going under the ground. You're not going in a no. building. You're just seeing what you can, what what information you've got. Exactly. You? So, it's it's a very objective process, and, and mm. we, we kind of yeah, as uh, catchphrase would say, you know, say what you see, and that's <laughs> that's exactly catchphrase. Yes. Where we are with it. Yeah. <laughs> you used to watch it too. Yes. <laughs> All right, Mister Chips. <laughs> <laughs> so okay so who if i said to you who 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 would you want to hopefully there'll be people there'll be listening people listening to this podcast who will be really interested who who are you speaking to you know who do you want to speak to at the moment so so for us we're very very sort of in with local authorities helping them get their climate strategies together their mm. e-mobility mm. strategies together um, you know, we've got a great client base in, in, in that sector and, and some great examples of the world we're doing. So we'd, we'd love to speak to more local authorities who are, who are really trying to sort of up the ante on their yeah. decarbonisation plans. Uh, as I say, we're working with a lot of developers. So people who you know, are interested in developing their own solar projects, their own EV projects, whether that's, you know, charge point operators as well. Um, so we're, we're already working with them, but we, we think we can help. And everything we do is bespoke, so we don't just lift and shift the solution from, from one person to another. Mm. We, we make it bespoke. But also other people who think they can add value to what we're doing as well. Mm. So you know, we work with a lot of data providers to, to add to what we're doing. So a lot of those data sets that are out there, um, maybe there's data we don't know about yet that could help mm. in planning where you put low-carbon technology that, that, that could come into play for us. Uh, and that would be great as well. So we're interested in hearing from suppliers that can can, can help our solutions uh, as well. Brilliant. And if people 
want to contact you then, what's the best place to find you? Where's the yeah. best place? What's the um, email addresses and websites and such? Uh, well, LinkedIn, always a good starting point. I'm I'm very active on LinkedIn. Lots of pictures of me on the train, my train selfies. I saw um, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, always enjoy a train selfie. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the website is uh, geospatial-insight.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a generic email address, which is hello at geospatial-insight.com. Mm-hmm. Or you can email me direct on ian.d, which is I-A-N dot D-E-E, at geospatial-insight.com. Fantastic. Oh, listen, it's brilliant. So I, I'd love to be in your office looking at all the data that you're pulling together i bet it's i bet it's fabulous it is yeah it's uh as you say it's a geek's heaven i love it i'm such a geek <laughs> <laughs> i'm a real geek honestly that's the best bit you know you've got to be some kind of geek to be doing this stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like i said every day is a school day i'm learning every single time i have i run one of these podcasts so and i hope everybody else is kind of you know benefiting from this as well but but listen thank you ian you've been an absolute star i really appreciate your time so i'm going to say to everybody else i shall see you next time thanks ian and see you later everybody thanks for listening to electric evolution with liz allen if you want to find out more about full circle continuous improvement please visit us at www.fullcircleci.co.uk Don't forget to keep listening for more episodes coming up really soon.